The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. Today is the third day of our summer seven-day session. It's the 7th of January, 2020. And we'll turn to the first section of uh, Master Chinnell's straight talk on the true mind. <clears throat> and it's entitled, Right Faith in the True Mind. Chinnell. In the Avatamska Sutra, it is stated, Faith is the fountainhead of the path and the mother of all meritorious qualities. It nourishes all good roots. Faith in the true mind. Faith in one's own mind. Master Rinzai once said, What is it that ails you? Lack of faith in yourself is what ails you. If you look at the different words that Chinnel that, uh, quotes here from the Avatamska Sutra, and this is a very well-known and oft-quoted little statement, fountainhead, mother, nourishes, roots. So he's, he's talking about um, something really fundamental here. The fountainhead, the source. And this image come to me when thinking, of, thinking about this, of, um, of this beautiful a small Italian courtyard that we used to visit when we lived in Bologna. It was quite quite simple, modest, maybe a couple of stories high with sort of colonnades around it. But in the centre of this small courtyard, there was a large stone. Um, I could only describe it as as a as a font it was like like they have in churches to baptize babies but it was just sitting there in the middle it had plants growing around it and this water welling up from the center <coughs> the fountainhead says that this, this, this faith in our mind nourishes all good roots. Um, good roots basically just means um, all the wholesome states that we can enter into, that, that are karmically um, positive. Faith nourishes these. Master Dogen said this about faith. Those who believe in the Buddha way must believe in the fact that their own self is in the midst of the way from the beginning. So there is no confusion, no delusion, no distorted viewpoint, no increase or decrease, no errors. To, set, to, take, to have such a faith and understand such a way and practice in accordance with it is the most fundamental aspect of learning the way. Again, again the sense of faith as being fundamental at the, at the base of all that we, we do. Well, people hearing this might feel, well, um, I don't feel like I've got a lot of faith where can I get some more? And that, that really what behind, is behind that is where does our faith come from? Where does it, where does it arise? 
And um, Roshi used to always say, faith comes out of experience. Everybody in this room um, has faith in the practice. Um, you wouldn't be in Sesheen with all its, its hardships and demands if you didn't have faith. Your, your being here is, is an expression of that faith. And where did, where did that faith come from? Often we don't know exactly, um, but it's likely to have, you've likely to have had at some point in your life glimpses of the truth that have, have given you that faith. In one Buddhist text, the, for, the source of faith is described as a joyous recollection of suchness. A joyous recollection of suchness. Suchness is is a term that appears a lot in, um, especially in Zen. It's a way of saying, and in the sutras too, um, things as they are. Um, could could say that suchness is the other face of emptiness. When, when we talk about emptiness, we emphasize the insubstantiality of things, their, their fleeting, um, ungraspable nature. So we're talking about the emptiness of all forms. Suchness, on the other hand, presents the other face, which is that things nevertheless exist in some sense with all their their um, insubstantiality they're also vivid particular often complex and this this kind of perspective then we emphasize the forms of emptiness the many forms it takes I had an experience at the age of four that, that I'm sure is what kept me going through um, many, many years of, of um, struggle. It was my fourth birthday and I was sitting in, in um, our back garden on a rug uh, with, with a, this little doll's quilt that had been given to me for my birthday that day and for some reason a little square dish that had water in it don't ask me why but just sitting there by myself in this garden the blue sky everything seemed to fall into place and um, have this kind of luminous quality words fall short always in, in with these things but you could you could call it some kind of glimpse of, of suchness, of how everything um, hangs together. We can have these uh, in our practice too, and and can be uh, encouraged by them and have our faith strengthened. But often at first they are they are partial glimpses. Somehow the dots aren't completely connected yet. We may we may recognize the suchness in a flower, but maybe not in our hand. Or maybe we see it in, in the wind and the trees, but but not in the dishwater or the dish uh, sponge. It's very important 
to keep going when we have these little um, openings, not to get get fixated there, but to um, go deeper. Not to think that somehow because we haven't quite um, connected up all the dots that we've somehow somehow failed. I think of um, um, something that uh, Samuel Beckett said in in a in a um, one of his writings, which was called Worstwood Ho. Ever tried ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. Rumi, who, who said something very similar to this, he said, come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshipper, lover of leaving, it doesn't matter. Ours is not a caravan of despair. Come even if you have broken your vow a thousand times. Come yet again. Come, come. And we all do break our vows a thousand times. We, we, we fall down in our own eyes in some way or another. It's just what, what comes with being a human being. The thing is just to, to get up, keep going. Part of that, that part of that keeping going, maintaining our faith, is is um, recognizing that um, our our movement, our our uh, way down the path will be um, patchy sometimes, intermittent. Master Sheng Yin says this about faith. <coughs> Resolute faith is not easy to come by, and it is also difficult to maintain. Those with sharp karmic roots can quickly give rise to faith when they encounter the Dharma. They will have confidence in the path. Having heard the teachings on enlightenment and Buddha nature, they will engage in practice. Having faith, they are diligent, steady and do not regress. Theirs is the fruit of merit and virtue accumulated over past lives, resulting in good karmic disposition in the current life. Others can begin with the same faith, but eventually regress in confidence. They engage the practice, but due to karmic obstacles, they go astray. If they meet favorable conditions later, they might return to practice, and then they can go back and forth like this. Their karmic dispositions are not so form, firm and not so deep. To practice to good effect, we must give rise to faith, be constantly diligent and trust in the path. When our practice is erratic, we are at best planting good karma, not realizing the path. So that we're still, it's still a positive thing. It's just that we don't, are not so able to generate momentum if we're sort of on and off in our practice. The momentum that's needed to kind of um, make the quantum leap that that is necessary to awaken. While it is normal for sentient beings to advance and regress, we should always strive to give rise to faith. 
because it's because it's so fundamental. Because it because it it's, it's the um, it's so nourishing of our practice and so helpful um, in in getting us more more steadily engaged. There's also another another aspect of of faith is um, its connection to questioning. If we are if we are working on a koan, Master Daibi said, "The ocean of the Buddha Dharma can be entered only by faith." With regard to this faith, an old master laid down three essentials for training. A great root of faith, a great ball of doubt, and great passionate determination. Of these three, the great root of faith is foremost. From faith, doubt arises. And in order to dispel this doubt, we could say perplexity, great passionate determination is necessary. So out of, out of our faith in true mind, our faith that the Buddha was not mistaken and he was not lying when he said that all beings have the Buddha nature, that all of us are endowed with wisdom and, and, and virtue, lacking nothing. If we have that faith, then, then the, the disparity between our, our understanding of the truth and our own experience of life and, and, and how we respond to difficulties and, and unpleasant people and this sort of thing becomes very, very stark. And so that's where the, the perplexity comes in. What is this truth that the Buddha is, is, is teaching? I have to know it for myself. I have to understand it and be able to live out of that, that understanding. And so out of that comes the great determination to, to close the gap between our um, own minds and, and this, this teaching. So one of the things we can do to strengthen our faith is um, to expose ourselves, to be careful about what we expose ourselves to, and as much as possible to expose ourselves to people and teachings and um, images that, that strengthen our faith. Environments. Places, places um, like this, where we're um, we're surrounded by great trees and birds, wind. Chunul continues. Moreover, the consciousness-only texts say, faith is like a water-purifying gem, which can pu purify cloudy water. It is clear that faith takes the lead in the development of the myriads of wholesome qualities. Question. What difference is there between faith in the ancestral son and scholastic sects? Chinnel. There are many differences. The scholastic sects encourage humans and gods to have faith in the law of karmic cause and effect. 
Those who desire the pleasures which come from merit must have faith that the ten wholesome actions are the sublime cause and that human or deva rebirth is the pleasurable result. The ten wholesome actions are um, just uh, our ten precepts as actions. So, um, uh, not to kill but to cherish all life, not to lie but to speak the truth and so forth, up to, up to the tenth. So those are the ten wholesome actions. So uh, faith of, uh, in this um, scholastic faith, it's faith in um, the law of cause and effect. In uh, living uh, harmlessly. Those who feel drawn to the void calmness of nirvana must have faith that its primary cause is the understanding of the cause and conditions of arising and ceasing, and that its holy fruition, sorry, fruition, is the understanding of the four noble truths of suffering, its origin, its extinction, and the path leading to its extinction. Those who would delight in the fruition of Buddhahood should have faith that the practice of the six paramitas over three asamkhaya kalpas is the major cause and Bodhi and Nirvana are its right fruition. So he's put setting out here, here really just the 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 standard um, teachings of the sutras, Mahayana teachings, um, sometimes known as the as the gradual path. And he talks here about the practice of the the paramitas, is the perfections. Um, over three asamkhaya kalpas. A kalpa is an eon and an asamkhaya kalpa is a, a countless eons. So talking about a very, very, very long time. And he contrasts this then with the uh, faith in the ancestral, that is to say the Chan Son Zen school sect. Right, fath, right faith in the ancestral sect is different. It does not believe in conditioned causes or effects. Rather, it stresses faith that everyone is originally a Buddha, that everyone possesses the impeccable self-nature, and that the sublime essence of Nirvana is complete in everyone. There is no need to search elsewhere, since time immemorial it has been innate in everyone. As the third patriarch said, and this um, quite often in this text he quotes the third ancestor, um, and what he's quoting is uh, what we recited just this morning, affirming faith in mind, which is um, attributed to the third ancestor, um, And as we go through this text, I'll, um, I'll give us, I'll read out our translation of it um, just for consistency rather than the translation given here, which is just very slightly different. So, as the third ancestor said, the way is perfect like vast space where there's no lack and no excess. Our choice to choose and to reject, get, regret, to choose and to reject prevents our seeing the simple truth. The simple truth. Just have to drop those fond opinions, as it says elsewhere in the same text. He continues, Chu Kung said, the signless body exists within the body which has signs. The road to the unborn is found along the road of ignorance. The signless body exists within the body which has signs. Signs are, um, are labels 
designations, characteristics. So um, talking about our body, we could say um, <coughs> tall, short, thin, fat, Māori, Pākehā, etc. So he says there's a signless body that exists within the body which has all these characteristics. The road to the unborn is found along the road of ignorance. This is, this is a central teaching in our tradition, that it is by paying a particular kind of attention to our ignorance that we transform it. We discover in it within our, our karma the road to the unborn. That which is unaffected by our missteps. Jung Jia said, the true nature of ignorance is the Buddha nature. The void phantom body is the Dharma body. Again, pay, pay attention to our ignorance and we discover a Buddha nature. Look deeply into this, this insubstantial conditioned body of ours and we can uncover the Dharma body. This Dharma body is a, um, a term in Buddhism which has, has a lot of richness to it. Um, the, the Buddha is um, said to have uh, three bodies. Um, the Dharma body, the um, bliss body, and the um, uh, let me just there's a little passage here in this Buddhist encyclopedia which sums it up well. The three bodies refer to the three bodies possessed by a Buddha according to the Mahayana view. The basis of the, this teaching is the conviction that a Buddha is one with the Absolute and manifests in the relative world in order to work for the welfare of all beings. The three bodies are the Dharmakaya, the body of the great order, the true nature of the Buddha which is identical with transcendental reality, the essence of the universe. The Dharmakaya is the unity of the Buddha with everything existing. At the same time, it represents the law, Dharma, the teaching expounded by the Buddha. The Sambhogakaya is the body of delight, the body of Buddhas who in a Buddha paradise enjoy the truth that they embody. And the Nirmanakaya is the body of transformation, the earthly body in which Buddhas appear to men and women in order to fulfill the Buddha's resolve to guide all beings to liberation. So the Nirmanakaya would be the body of the historical Buddha, how he, um, people encountered him when he, was, when he was alive. So our void phantom body, this body that, of change and, and um, birth and death, is the Dharma body, the, the, the transcendent, uh, essential body of the Buddha. Hence we know that sentient beings are originally Buddhas. Once we have given rise to great, great faith, sorry, once we have given rise to right faith, we must add understanding to it. 
as Jung Ming said, to have faith but no understanding increases ignorance. To have understanding but no faith increases wrong views. Consequently, we know that once faith and understanding are merged, entrance onto the path will be swift. Uh, there's always the emphasis in Buddhism that we don't need to have blind faith. Our faith, um, again, comes out of our experience. Question. Is there any benefit which accrues solely from the initial arousing of faith even though we, we are not yet able to enter the path. Chinul. The awakening of faith says, if a person hears this dharma without feeling faint-hearted, it should be known that this person will surely perpetuate the spiritual family of the Buddha and receive prediction of their future Buddhahood from all the Buddhas. Even if there were a person who could convert all the sentient beings throughout the world systems of this triliocosm and induce them to practice the ten unwholesome actions, they would not be as good as a person who can rightly consider the Dharma for a period of the length of one meal. It is beyond analogy just how much it exceeds the previous merit. So this, the having this personal experience, understanding for oneself, um, the the uh, the nature of the mind is put here, put forth here as being um, um, of immense value. Just generating the faith in our mind, this mind of ours. Furthermore, it is said in the Prajnaparamita Sutras, and if they give rise to one thought of pure faith, the Tathagata fully knows and sees this. Through this faith, all sentient beings gain incalculable merit. We know that if we want to travel for a thousand e, it is essential that the first step be right. If the first step is off, we will be off for the entire thousand e. To enter the unconditioned kingdom, it is essential that our initial faith be right, for if that initial faith is wrong, we may move away from the myriads of good qualities. The third ancestor said, um, and this is again a quote from Affirming Faith and Mind, even slight distinctions may set earth and heaven far apart. I think this is um, one of the reasons why it's important for us as um, Zen students to um, have some familiarity with, with the sutras in terms of um, the view, understanding what the view is behind uh, practice. Um, Otherwise, it's it's possible for us to to um, use our meditation in in mistaken ways or limited ways that don't that don't encompass encompass the full range of of the teaching that is that is behind our um, meditation practice. Different names for the true mind. Question. We have already given rise to great right faith, but we are still uncertain what is meant by true mind. Chinul. To leave behind the false is called true. The numinous, numinous speculum is called mind. Um, numinous speculum. Um, Numinous just means um, mysterious or suggestive of the divine, um, 
So the numinous speculum, speculum is a word for mirror. So um, this numinous, mysterious mirror is what we call mind. This mirror that each of us is. The Shurangama Sutra sheds light on this mind. Then he doesn't elaborate on what it says at this point. Another question comes. Is it only named true mind or does it have other appellations? Um, and now he goes into a, a long, a long uh, list of names, which is, is quite, quite extraordinary. The first time I heard this, I, I had this feeling I, I was drinking cool, clear water. Um, and just so I can read it uninterrupted, I'll just mention some of the terms that may be unfamiliar to people that appear in this in this text. Um, one is um, Dharma Datu. We just met Dharma Kaya. Now this is Dharma Datu. Um, this means the realm of Dharma. And and it, it was a term that developed um, as a way of describing the true nature that permeates and encompasses phenomena. As a space or realm then, the realm of dharmas is the uncaused and immutable totality in which all phenomena arise, dwell and pass away. Sort of like a substrate. Another, another term used in this passage is tathagata. This means um, the one who has come to suchness. We were talking about suchness before. Of, um, just seeing things as they are. So it, it sometimes translated the one who has gone to suchness. Or... Um, the thus come one, the one who has come to this. Another term used um, at a certain point is Dharani. This is the same Dharani as, as uh, re referring to our Shosai Myo Kichi Dharani or um, Daihishin Dharani, and a Dharani is, is a kind of an extended mantra. Um, words which are, have been put together to have a certain power or effect on the mind. Um, seen it translated in one place as uh, spells. So you could say um, powerful, powerful words, and that's why we don't translate the Dharani there are translations for them. Uh, we keep them in the Sino-Japanese to preserve the, the sounds of the syllables. Another um, term used in this passage is Tathagata Garba. Um, two parts, Tathagata we just talked about, and Garba means womb. So it's the, the womb of the Tathagata the 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 um, place of the, the origin of, of everything, and that this is an image that is described in a in a sutra that's mentioned, the Srimala Devi Simhananda Sutra, which um, develops this idea of our true nature as being like like a, a, a spiritual womb. So now, now this, this description that Chinnel gives without interruptions. So the question was, is it only named true mind or does it have other appellations? Chinnel, the names given to it in the teachings of the Buddha and in the teachings of the ancestors are not the same. First, let us explore the teachings of the Buddha. In the Bodhisattva Shila Sutra, it is called mind ground 
because it produces the myriads of good dharmas. In the Prajnaparamita Sutras, it is referred to as Bodhi because enlightenment is its essence. The Avatamska Sutra names it the Dharmadhatu because it interpenetrates and infuses all dharmas. Dharmas just means things. In the Diamond Sutra, it is called the Tathagata because it does not come from anywhere. In the Prajnaparamita Sutras, it is also referred to as Nirvana because it is the sanctuary of all the saints. In the Golden Light Sutra, it is said to be suchness because it is true, permanent and immutable. In the Pure Name Sutra, it is named the Dharma Body because it is the support for the reward and transformation bodies. In the awakening of faith, it is termed true suchness, because it neither arises nor ceases. In the Mahaparinirvana Sutra, it is referred to as Buddha nature, because it is the fundamental essence of the three bodies. In the Complete Enlightenment Sutra, it is called Dharani, because all meritorious qualities flow from it. In the Srimala Devi Simananda Sutra, it is named Tathagatagarbha because it conceals and contains all dharmas. In the Definitive Sutra, it is named Complete Enlightenment because it destroys darkness and shines solitarily of itself. As Son Master Wen Shou's Secrets on Mind Only says, the one Dharma has a thousand names. Its appellations are each given in response to different conditions. The true mind appears in all the sutras, but I cannot cite all the references. Question. We now know what true mind means in the teachings of the Buddha, but what about the teachings of the patriarchs, the ancestors? Uh, in the school of the ancestors, all names and words are severed. Not even one name is sanctioned, let alone many. In response to stimuli and according to faculties, however, its names are also many. Sometimes it is referred to as oneself, for it is the original nature of sentient beings. Sometimes it is called the proper eye, for it makes visible all phenomena. At other times it is called the sublime mind, because it is empty yet numinous, calm yet radiant. Sometimes it is named the old master, for it has been the supervisor since time immemorial. Sometimes it is called the bottomless bowl, for it can survive anywhere. Sometimes it is called a stringless lute, for it has always been in harmony. Sometimes it is called an inextinguishable lamp, for it illuminates and disperses delusion and passion. Sometimes it is called a rootless tree, for its roots and trunk are strong and firm. Sometimes it is referred to as a sword which splits a wind-blown hair for it severs the roots of all the defilements. Sometimes it is called the unconditioned kingdom, for the seas are calm there and the rivers clear. Sometimes it is called a wish-fulfilling gem, for it benefits the poor and distressed. Sometimes it is called a boltless lock, for it shuts the six sense doors. It is also clawed, called a clay ox, a wooden horse, moon of the mind, and gem of the mind. It has such a variety of different names that I cannot record them all. One of the things that you immediately notice is the contrast between these two lists. The, the um, one from quoting uh, from the sutras there's a lot of, um, you could say, 
um, Buddhist technical language in it. But when he gets to the the list, and it's an incomplete one, uh, from the the Zen tradition, um, it's mostly using short, ordinary words that that don't require um, our looking them up in the in the Buddhist encyclopedia. Very something um, very straightforward about these images. A rootless tree, a sword that splits the wind-blown hair, the wish-fulfilling gem, the proper eye. We, we can relate to these images um, very directly. While at the same time recognizing that they are images, they're not the thing itself. He continues, If you penetrate to the true mind, you will fully comprehend all of these names. But if you remain dark to its true nature, sorry, if you, if you, let me start that again. If you penetrate to the true mind, you will fully comprehend all of these names. But if you remain dark to this true mind, all names are only a block. Consequently, you must be precise in your investigation of the true mind. The subtle essence of the true mind. Question. We have learned the names of the true mind, but what is its essence like? Chinul. It states in the radiating light Prajna Sutra, Prajna is entirely free of signs. It has no signs of arising or ceasing. Our minds, our minds um, work, language works by means of signs. And we get we get very caught up in those signs. We we don't often we don't even recognize them as being signs. We think they're the thing itself. And and it's um, for this reason that we don't we don't apprehend the essence of our mind that has no signs. In the awakening of faith, it is said, the essence of true suchness itself neither increases nor decreases in any ordinary person, Shravaka, Pratyeka Buddha, Bodhisattva or Buddha. It did not arise in an earlier age and it will not be annihilated in a later age. Ultimately, it is constant and eternal. Since the beginning, its nature has been utterly complete in all meritorious qualities. He mentions here a person, a Shravaka, Pratyeka Buddha, Bodhisattva, or a Buddha. Um, it's just a way of, of um, uh, it's used in the sutras to classify different types of practitioners. Uh, Shravaka uh, translates as a hearer, and it means immediate disciples of the Buddha, uh, or sometimes follower of the, of the, the Pali teachings, classical Buddhism. Uh, Pratyeka Buddha means a solitary Buddha, in other words, somebody who who, do, who realizes enlightenment but doesn't teach. Um, a bodhisattva, of course, is somebody who's uh, refining themselves through helping others. And then Buddhas, um, full Buddhas, are those with who have. Um, develop themselves to such a degree, but there's no that there's no trace <coughs> of any kind of selfishness or sense of separateness left. 
Those are completely uh, gone. So he's, he's saying this quote from the Awakening Faith is saying that uh, the essence of, of true suchness, essence of our mind, uh, isn't, isn't more in a Buddha or a Bodhisattva and less in a person. Um, we each, we each um, partake of this true suchness equally. And it didn't, it didn't arise at some point in, in the history of our universe and it won't be annihilated at some point. And it's only what doesn't arise that can't be annihilated. essence of true suchness itself neither increases nor decreases. It can't be it can't be summed up in words. Any words that we apply to it limit it. Then what what is it? is this essential nature of ours. We have to find out for ourselves. We have to personally taste it. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. <coughs> The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.